Welcome to Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. In this program, we want to encourage you in your Christian faith by showing how scientific evidence supports the Bible, particularly the Genesis account. The book of Genesis lays the foundation for all matters addressed in the rest of the Bible. The nature of God, His sovereignty in creation, man's purpose, sin, marriage, family, and why we need a Savior are all introduced and explained in Genesis. When we see that the first and most foundational book of the Bible can be trusted in all matters, including science, it builds confidence in the rest of the inspired Word all the way to Revelation. On today's show, Dr. Henry Morris III, CEO of the Institute for Creation Research, will cover part three of a 10-part series on the six days of creation. Here's Dr. Morris. God has created the space, matter, time universe. He organized it on day two so that there's some form of protective shield around it so that the living things that would follow would be under his very good construction But then God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Under the organization of both the waters under the heaven and the remaining erets, that's the Hebrew word for the hard stuff, for the dry land. That's where we get our word earth from. There's no evidence either in science or in the text of Scripture to suggest that the original nature of the stuff of creation was anything more than formless and empty, kind of like a blob. So whatever happened on the third day began with an organizational process acting on the rotating sphere that had been set in motion on the first day and separated into a separate body of waters on the second day, now on day three, the earth begins to take shape. There are a few side issues worth noting here. Gravity is still a mystery to most of science. We know that the force of gravity is proportional to the mass, the size and density of a given structure like a planet or a star, But we do not know how gravity is formed or maintained or even what it consists of. Magnetic fields are not the same as gravity. Magnetic fields have poles, north and south, positive and negative. Gravity is different. Magnetic fields are better understood than gravity and seem to be related to differential movement, like current through a wire or directional movements of molten rock or a time lag between the Earth's core and its surface rotation, etc. But we still don't know how these processes got started. Circular motion tends to throw particles away from the center of the motion, unless the particles are contained by a barrier of some kind. Think of water in a bucket being whirled around by a kid on a science project. There are some fundamental problems here. The rotation of the Earth would seem to fling the material of the Earth out into space. Of course, gravity probably holds it together. But what happened to initiate that balance? The Earth's magnetic field, which has nothing to do with gravity, seems to be dependent on the rotational motion of the Earth. What keeps the Earth at a constant speed? How do we begin to understand the most basic of these questions when we can only measure the effects? One of the basic mysteries about the nature of matter 
is that the various energies involved are somewhat contradictory. This is essentially true at the macro level, like gravity and orbits of solar system bodies like stars and galaxies, etc. Theories abound, and many mathematical models are used to demonstrate the current status of our thinking, but we don't know. How can our planet remain suspended in space on nothing, as described in Job 26.7? What holds the Earth foundations together, as Psalm 104.5 suggests? How can the incessant tides and actions of the oceans not destroy the land surfaces? And how do the continents remain in place, Jeremiah asks. What keeps the star configuration so precise and regular? What, in fact, holds everything together? And why doesn't the universe simply explode or implode or collapse? Enormous energies are involved in maintaining the rotation of our Earth. Gravity's unfathomable force appears to keep the Earth from being torn apart by the very forces that keep evening and morning going. Those isolated concerns of our planet are compounded by the enormity of the intertwined complexity of the universe. Astronomers and physicists make some urbane speculations about these issues, but scientifically there is no testable answers to these huge questions except the simple biblical answers that an omnipotent and omniscient creator designed and made the world that way, and everything that is now held together by the same authority and the power that created in the first place. On this third day involve huge organizational forces of the watery matrix, coalescing the seas into structured water systems. The biblical phrase is, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. That condition does not exist today. The earth's oceans are spread over many places, which residues of large island lakes and river drainage systems that bear very little resemblance to the biblical description of the first age. Not only were the waters and seas gathered into one place, but there were fountains of the deep established sometimes during this process, as well as a vast spring of water that was a source for four major rivers. The Bible says there were a river went out of Eden to water the garden. From there it parted and became four riverheads. And when he established the clouds above, Proverbs says, he strengthened the fountains of the deep. In the 600 year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up. When these references are just pieces of the picture, they do give some biblical insight into the structure of that first creation cosmology. Let's take a short break. Stay with us. From sharks to butterflies, bats to orangutans, we can't help but marvel at the stunning and amusing creatures God has made. If you and your kids enjoy learning about animals, then you'll love our book, Guide to Animals, with its beautiful, full-color images and fascinating facts. Published by the Institute for Creation Research, Guide to Animals provides answers to many popular questions about the animal kingdom. How do chameleons change colors? How do jellyfish live without a brain? 
And what happened to the dinosaurs and other extinct animals? Guide to Animals shows how everything that can slither, crawl, soar, or swim displays the handiwork of God. Order your copy of Guide to Animals from the Institute for Creation Research by calling 800-628-7640 or visiting icr.org. That's 800-628-7640 or visiting icr.org. Welcome back to Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. Here's Dr. Morris. These references are just pieces of the picture. They give us some biblical insight into the structure of the first creation. The Bible in several places indicates that the universe and the earth that God initially brought into existence were quite different from what we experience now. Back on this third day, God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed it is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, an herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good through the evening and the morning were the third day. Certainly one of the more controversial discussions of our day is the theories of the various biological systems developed over long ages by natural processes. The Bible seems to lump all of plant science into one day's event. How can that be? The narrative language of the third day uses very specific Hebrew terms. After the water was gathered together and the dry land appeared, the earth was told, that is, ordered by the Creator to bring forth. Many of the modern translations use terms like sprout or produce when converting the Hebrew phrase. The popular Bible paraphrase, the, the message, renders the command this way, Earth, green up. <laughs> Maybe that's a little bit of poetic license, but the text does use a command, and the literal representation of the words would be very similar. Then God said, Earth, grow, sprout, or produce, grass. The text records that the earth did indeed produce a threefold category of its produce. God talks about grass, essentially what we would call all the ground-covering vegetations. In our uh, years in California, we had a weird plant that everybody just called ice plant. It covered everything. In the South, it was kudzu. There were things that just went all over everywhere. In fact, in some places in the South, they used to call the kudzu the, the foot of night vine. It would just grow so fast. All of these ground-covering vegetations, God seems to lump into one big category. Just says to the dirt, the earth of day one, well, produce, grow, sprout, do something, have grass. And then he talks about herbs. This would probably apply to what we would call bushes and shrubs, hedges maybe, some of the smaller trees, certainly some of the flowering plants. We would seem to see some of these sort of uh, mid-level vegetation growing. And trees, probably all the large woody plants that we're so used to and like to see grow and preserve. Please remember that the Bible later specifically designates all of these earth products as food for the living creatures that were to populate the planet. 
In no place in the scriptures are plant described the life that living creatures possess. Plants are food. They do not possess the life of animals and man. They are, indeed, marvelous and beautiful and complex and able to reproduce after their kind, but they're designed by the Creator to be a source of energy to maintain life. They are not alive in the biblical sense. Yes, I know some of us like to talk to our plants, but they really don't hear us. And when we uh, refuse to eat the broccoli, it's not because we murdered it, even though we might have thought we wanted to. Broccoli is a part of food. God designed the plant structure of the planet Earth to provide enough energy source for real life to function. Initially, sufficient for all living things, God said the plants were to be for food. Thank you for joining us on Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. That's all the time we have for our program today, but we would love to connect with you through our website at icr.org. For over 45 years, ICR has equipped believers with evidence of the Bible's accuracy and authority by showing how science supports the Genesis creation account. Our scientists research the evidence for creation and communicate their findings through books, articles, DVD series, and conferences. Please visit our website at icr.org for more information about the latest scientific discoveries, to subscribe to our free magazine and devotional, and to locate our next creation conference at a venue near you. All of this and more at icr.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, subscribe to Science, Scripture, and Salvation on iTunes. Also, do us a favor and rate and review the show so that more listeners can find us. Thanks for listening, and God bless.